So did anyone else forget to set their clocks back like Cammy this week? <laughs> Guess you're the only one. Yeah. Yeah, everyone should be well rested, no falling asleep in the sermon today, right? Okay, so we're continuing our study on all that Paul was writing about and what he meant at the very opening lines of chapter 5 when he exhorted us to imitate God by walking in love. And we know imitating God, that's our highest calling, it's a challenge, Um, and so we're not doing this alone. He actually tells us that we're to be filled with the Holy Spirit. In fact, that's why Jesus sent his Spirit to reside within us so that we could live a Spirit-filled life. And that's not something that just happens to us. It's something that we actively engage in. And we keep talking about this middle voice where God is moving on us and we respond to him. So we take his counsel and we actually do something with it. And when we do that, we are filled with his spirit. And then Paul goes on to give us three very specific examples of how it is that we can be filled with the spirit. The first one, of course, is praising. And here at Four Mile, we take praising very, very important You all come, we sing, we praise, but it's beyond just our singing, right? It's our entire lives, our everyday ordinary lives are about praising God. Then, of course, there's giving thanks. And we know Paul's taught us already that that gratitude within us for all that Christ has done for us is what gives us the strength and the drive and the motivation to live out our lives to his glory and his glory alone. And then we have this submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And, of course, that's all about relationships And so as you see on the graphic up there, there's three relationships that Paul gets very specific on. And we've, last couple of months, been focused on husbands and wives. But I don't want us to ever lose sight of the fact that these relationships are really all about being filled with the Spirit. So we can very quickly get caught up in, oh, this is just about husbands and wives. Yes, it is. But that sets the standard and the condition for us in which to be filled and to live out of that in the overflow of our lives. And of course, to teach this, Paul's been going back and forth. He does this husband and wife thing. Then he does Christ in the church, and then husband and wife, and Christ in the church. And so to teach wives how it is that they're to submit to their husbands, he refers to how the church submits to Christ. And then to teach husbands how it is that they're to love their wives, he shows us how Christ loves the church. And then today, he used husbands and wives to show us about Christ and the church. Paul writes, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, these words should be fairly familiar to you because they're the exact same words from Genesis 2. So Paul is pointing us back to the creation story when God ordained marriage between Adam and Eve. So let's briefly familiarize ourselves with this account because it helps us see the broader teaching Paul has for us today in context. This is Moses writing now. He's the author of the first five books of the Bible, and he gives us here the creation account. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. 
and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken for the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So this part in orange up here out of the Genesis account is the exact line that Paul is referring to here as he teaches us this. Now, when we break this Genesis narrative down, we find a couple of key actors. First, we have the animals and all the creatures that were formed out of the ground. Second, we have Adam, the first man who is created in the image of God. As we learn in verse 26 of chapter 1, part of, Paul, or part of uh, Moses' writing before what we just read, we have this, this reference that Moses writes, then God said, let us make man in our own, in own image after our likeness. So man is an altogether different species here. He is unique in that he is made after God's likeness. Moreover, God set him apart by granting him the authority to name all the creatures. So the first man, Adam, had dominion over all the animals. In fact, over all the earth, as Scripture says. But we see here that none of those creatures were a fit helper for him. They were not made in the image of God. So they didn't have souls in the sense that humans do. So then God causes Adam to fall into this deep sleep, and he performs an operation on him. God takes a rib out of the side of Adam and then fashions that rib into another human being, the first woman, Eve. This is the third actor in the narrative account. And when Adam wakes up, he says, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. In other words, this isn't a beast without a human soul. It's another human being, just like the first Adam. And so Adam then named her woman because she was taken out of man. Now this is such an important detail here. Just like Adam names the rest of creation, he also names woman. And that's because God made him to be the head of his creation. It's just how God chose to design it. So man being the head of marriage isn't some chauvinistic perspective. It's simply God's design. And then we get to our line, the one Paul references from Genesis, where Moses uses this conjunction, therefore. So we have to look at the previous thing that he just wrote about. So therefore, in light of how God made woman from man, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So there is first a leaving of the nest, a farewell of sorts to the parents, a departure from the home. The man has been raised under the nurture and care of his parents. He's found a suitable mate, and it's time to go, so that he can be something new, so that he can be joined to a woman united as one flesh. That's a truth about the nature of unity that Paul's been teaching us throughout this entire letter he's been writing. It's all part of God's design. 
Woman came from man. And in marriage, God puts them back together, so to speak. They're one flesh, meaning in God's eyes, they are one. There's a completeness in it. They each retain a separate identity, husband and wife, but they're united as one flesh. So if you happen to be sitting next to your spouse, look at them. Do you you realize that you're one flesh? That you're actually sitting next to the person that God views you as one flesh? Well, you stop and really think about that. It's quite a mystery, isn't it? Paul even describes it as a profound one. So it's clearly worthy of our additional consideration this morning. Now, we've seen this word mystery before, and it means things that are hidden from the ungodly. These are truths that are inaccessible to the unaided mind. In other words, they're spiritual truths that can only be granted and grasped with the help of the Holy Spirit. So this mystery of two people, each with a separate identity, becoming one flesh, can only be grasped and accepted by those who are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, those who have been born again. That's one of the main reasons the world rejects submission and agape love as the building blocks of a marriage. It simply cannot grasp or accept this mystery. And that's because the world is not indwelled by the Holy Spirit. It doesn't know God. So it focuses instead on self, on how they feel, on falling in and falling out of love, on partnerships, and on happy. Whereas the believer focuses on holy, something far more enduring and profound. Now we'll get back to this happy, holy trade-off here in a minute. But let's first make sure that we're very clear about this word profound. Profound means great, excellent, splendid. And that's the nature of this mystery. And moreover, this profound mystery contains God's preeminent blessings. In other words, there's divine goodness that comes with the way God designed marriage. In fact, we see over and over again in Paul's teaching here that when we choose to operate according to God's design, grasping and accepting this truth that two have become one flesh before God, it puts us in step with his will, and that will is that wives are to submit to their husbands, and husbands are to love, to nourish, to cherish their wives. And when all that happens, we're filled with the Holy Spirit, which is an invaluable part of God's preeminent blessings, meaning our lives are full of his fruit. We live a spirit-filled life. We're empowered now to progress in holiness, growing up or maturing toward that narrow gate we see on that graphic we always have up here because our eyes are fixed on God's glory alone. But then Paul makes this remarkable pivot. He writes, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So wait a minute. All that we've learned about husbands and wives, all that we just reviewed from the creation account, the truth that a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This profound mystery, you mean it actually refers to Christ and the church? Well, yeah. Paul 
basically uses marriage now to demonstrate this profound mystery that we all need to know about between Christ's relationship with his church. It's why we need to be so clear about how God designed the relationship between husbands and wives. We not only need to know about it, but we all must experience it too so that we can better grasp how it is that God also designed the relationship between Christ and his church because it is most certainly a profound mystery. So I wonder, have you spent time contemplating this before? Because it's so important that we do. Whenever we see this word mystery in Scripture, it requires our undivided attention. So let's briefly begin to explore this profound mystery together. And let's first consider how Christ and the church share the same profound mystery we find with Adam and Eve and in marriage. For starters, just like with Adam, God performed an operation of sorts on Jesus, who is the second Adam. Now, the first Adam, the Adam that we just read about in Genesis, he came to bring life in the flesh. The second Adam, which Scripture refers to as Jesus, came to give life in the Spirit, and God performs an operation on both of them. He puts Jesus to sleep on that cross. It's marked by that moment when Jesus gave up his spirit, succumbing to the brutality of floggings and crucifixion as his blood is poured out of God's dear son. I love the way Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it. It's there in that operation that the church was taken out. So just as woman came from Adam's side, it's from the Lord's bleeding side that the church comes. That's the church's origin. The blood of Christ is the rib, the bone of bone, and flesh of flesh. Because being washed in Christ's blood is what has to happen before someone is born again, before someone has the Holy Spirit indwelling them, and before someone becomes part of the invisible church, comprised of all those believers from Pentecost to today, who are united in Christ. Think about that. It's remarkable what happens for us to become part of the church. So just like God used the rib from Adam's side and then breathed life into woman, so too God used the blood of Christ shed on the cross and then he breathed life into his church. Because on that day at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was first poured out on God's beloved children, the church of Christ was born, the true church. Are you beginning to see this mystery now? I hope so, but there's still so much more. So let's push on it even a little bit further because the text goes on to say, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So just as leaving the nest is part of God's design for marriage, it's actually part of God's design for Christ and the church, too. And we see that Jesus left his heavenly home to hold fast to his wife, the church. Jesus set aside his position in heaven to make his bride clean by the washing of water with the word. That's why he came. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. So that he could present her to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, referring to sanctification, so that she might be holy and without blemish, referring to glorification. 
And of course, implicit in this truth is that there's a leaving on both sides, both within the marriage and within the church. For example, a bride, just like the groom, must also leave her family to become one with her husband. And for the church, it must leave too. That's what departing from that wide, dark path is all about. We must leave it. It's why Paul keeps telling us that we must put off the old self and put on the new self because we've been born again. We've been washed in Jesus' blood and we have the Holy Spirit in us. And so we can't be doing that wide, dark path stuff anymore. We're, We're always focused on our happiness and how we feel. Rather, we must now tend to the holy stuff on that narrow path that guarantees us. It takes us up through that narrow gate. Christ will not be denied. He will make us more holy, and his spirit does that work by sanctifying us. Because when Christ comes to claim his bride, and that could really be any day now, we will be one flesh. We'll be united with and in Christ. This is the profound mystery that only born-again saints can begin to grasp. They can begin to accept, and then they begin to respond to it. That we are one united church, spanning from Pentecost to today, comprised of all those who placed their faith in Jesus, been washed in his blood, and been born again. Passing through those baptismal waters, the Holy Spirit in them, convicting, counseling, comforting them, with the word of truth, where Jesus is the head, the saints, his body, the Holy Spirit uniting so that the two become one flesh. Are you beginning to see even more of this profound mystery now? Marriage and the church, they operate by the exact same design, love and submission for the sake of unity, for God's glory alone because he designed it that way. And this is why we must submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, but especially in our marriages, so that we might be filled with the Holy Spirit who unites us as brothers and sisters in Christ. It should actually fill us with immense joy because we get to share life united in and with Christ. So what does this mean? Well, it means a tremendous amount because absolutely everything changes in our lives. First, it means just like a wife takes on her husband's name, we take on Jesus' name too. That's why we're called Christians. Second, it means just as a wife shares in her husband's position in life, we also share in Jesus' position in the heavenly places. Jesus even gives us his glory. He prayed for this in high priestly prayer. He prayed very specifically that the glory you have given me, God, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. Third, it means just as a wife has access to her husband's father, we now have access to Jesus' father. We're his beloved children now, too. Fourth, it means just as a wife shares in her husband's possessions, we also share in Christ's possessions as heirs of the kingdom. We receive an inheritance. Fifth, it means just as a wife has access to her husband's servants, we have access to Christ's servants too. His angels tend to us just as they tend to him. 
But it also means, just as a wife shares in her husband's sufferings, we share in Christ's sufferings too. And this is the part we don't often like to deal with, but it's the reality of life. It's what we all face in our everyday, ordinary lives. Temptations, persecutions, scoffing, all the beatings the hands of the world can muster. You see, we get it all. All that's Christ's is ours. So we don't get a pass from suffering. It's yet again why we keep saying that the Christian life is not about happy. The Christian life is about holy. And when we progress in holiness, there's this joy that we have in Christ. It's a joy that surpasses anything the world could ever give us. This joy makes all the suffering that we have to face bearable. It helps us progress in holiness. In fact, it changes everything because when we're born again, our whole outlook on life becomes radiant with hope because we have the joy of getting to be one flesh with Christ. It's actually the very thing that we celebrate with communion. The bread, his body broken for us. The wine, Christ's blood poured out for us so that we might be flesh of flesh, bone of bone, united as one in Christ. That's what his sacrifice on the cross made possible for each and every one of us. That's why we take communion so seriously here at Four Mile. It's a sacrament, a command from Jesus to receive it for all those who've been born again into a new life in Christ. It's where our new life in Christ came from, the rib by which God's beloved children have been formed. So if you've been born again, I invite you to spend a few minutes just reflecting on all the communion represents. Those graphics up there on the wall, they convey the truth of what being born again into a new life in Christ is all about. And if you've never placed your faith in Jesus, perhaps you finally will today so that you might be a part of him in oneness, one flesh with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's all take just a few minutes to contemplate this profound mystery. 